DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to once again be joined by Dr. James Papandrea, who is a professor of church history and historical theology at Garrett Evangelical Seminary at Northwestern University. He's the author of numerous books, including From Star Wars to Superman, Christ Figures in Science Fiction and Superhero Films, Reading the Early Church Fathers from the Didache to Nicaea, and How Christianity Saved Civilization and Must Do So Again, co-authored with Mike Aquilina. With James Papandreou, we go inside the pages of What Really Happens After We Die, How We Know There Will Be Hugs in Heaven, published by Sophia Institute Press. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. Well, my pleasure. It's great to be with you. I really love this book, What Really Happens After We Die. Um, And you put in parenthetically, there will be hugs in heaven, even in the title of it. So it's awesome what inspired you to put it together as you have. Well, you know, in my study of um, the Church Fathers and uh, what our Church has always taught, I found that, you know, we believe, and, and I'm, I'm sure people sort of know this uh, instinctively, we believe in resurrection. We believe that Jesus was raised bodily, and we believe that we will be raised bodily and redeemed as whole people, body and spirit. But the problem is, is that I've noticed that too many people in our culture now think of the afterlife as a kind of disembodied existence, as if the body is meant to be discarded. And turns out that's not a Christian idea. The idea that the body is discarded, that's a pagan idea. And, um, and I wanted to write a book that would help people understand what the Church has always taught on this subject and, and uh, what we should hope for in the next life. I think it's such uh, important work that you've undertaken here because we're dealing with an aspect of our existence that's not always easy to grasp. I mean, we are people— if we're Christian, we've proclaimed a creed that we believe in things visible and invisible. But I don't know if we really comprehend what that mystery of the visible and the invisible really means. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think you kind of venture there. I think you venture there. That's right. And and, and I mean, there's a, there's only so much we can know about a mystery that we haven't experienced. And And part of the problem is that our culture elevates personal experience much that it really elevates uh, you know personal experience to the level of an authority even over scripture and tradition sometimes and that's a huge problem um, but then we have this this inability to tolerate mystery and so um, I really wanted to write a book that would help us find the balance of of knowing what our hope is in Christ but also sort of allowing uh, uh, allowing ourselves to embrace the mystery of it all as well yeah it- it's uh, wonderful how you've put in every chapter essentially a story that kind of helps us to relate, a parable, just as Jesus taught, mm-hmm. you know, because we need those kind of things to comprehend the greatness of this particular mystery. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes we forget that, you know, in Jesus's own teaching, a lot of his parables start with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so if we want to know what the afterlife is like, the best place to start is with what Jesus taught about it. 
But the only problem is, is that he didn't teach it in very concrete ways. He taught it in parables and in allegories and metaphors. And so we need to sort of unpack those and, and learn to understand them. And that's one of the things that I do with this book. Well, a lot of us have concepts. I guess we could just jump in and talk about some of the perceptions that we have of Mm -hmm. what happens to us after we die. And for many people, there's a bit of a confusion. Somehow we think after death, we become disembodied angels. And, you know, A Wonderful Life, as you point out, is one of those stories that we tell that kind of help elevate that in many people's minds. That's right. You know, we all watch It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas time, and and I do too, and it's a great film. Um, But, you know, underlying that movie is the assumption that Clarence, the the guardian angel, was once a regular human being. And that, you know, sort of uh, reinforces this popular idea that people become something other than people after they die. They become angels, or they become ghosts, or they become something. And the reality is, we're not meant to become something inhuman, we're meant to have our humanity uh, redeemed and fulfilled. And so we don't become angels. Um, We will always be humans, and that humanity includes our human bodies. Sometimes we think, okay, not angels, then do we become ghosts that can be summoned by a channeler or a a seance or something like that? That's, That's not quite a full understanding of what we have of it in the church. Am I correct, Jim? No, that's right. That's right. And it's very interesting because when I first started this study and I got to the subject of ghosts, I fully expected to do the research and find out that the, you know, that the fathers of the church and and the church was going to say, no, there's no such thing as ghosts. And I was actually surprised when I did the research, the, the church fathers and the tradition of our church does hold out the possibility of the thing that we think of as ghosts. But the problem is, is that this is not simply a person who has died and is hanging around for some reason. This is a person who is, is not going to heaven. I mean, the only people who become ghosts are people who are going to hell. And, and, um, and, and there, I suppose, are ways in which uh, the forces of evil can sort of manipulate that concept in our minds to distract us and try and draw us away from God. But, um, but no, I mean, these, these, these occult practices like seances, tarot cards, even your horoscope, things where, where the assumption is you're trying to gain information or power from, from people who have died and passed on, um, this is all a distraction. It's all a lie meant to, to take you away from God. And, um, you know, to the extent that it's real, it's demonic. And if it's not demonic, it's not real. And so we, we definitely want to stay away from that kind of stuff. There's an important paradigm here in how we approach this, because the the heart's desire is to long for those who are no longer present before us, particularly in in physical form. There's a hope, there's an ache, I I miss my grandmother, my father, I, I wish you were here. And for the Christian, I think that's a reality, is a deep seated desire in us, isn't it? It is, and, and our church has ways of, of doing that. Um, our faith, Christianity, has ways of doing that that are appropriate. So, for example, if we, if we miss a loved one who's passed on, we don't you know, have a seance and try to ask them questions and get answers from them. But what we can do is we can, we can pray to them and we can ask for their intercession. And this is a, this is a practice that's 
been a part of the church since the beginning. We can remember them uh, with with the the memorial meals that the early church celebrated that that eventually became the feasts of the sta- the saints. And so there are things that are appropriate to our faith that we can do um, to engage in the communion of the saints. But we just have to be careful that that we don't fall into the trap of of engaging in those occult practices that are, you know, at the end of the day, really selfish because we're just trying to get something out of it. I think for the Christian, and in particular for a Catholic, we've heard a, a term sometimes we take for granted. It's through him, with him, and in him. It's all through Jesus Christ. And so even those experiences and those achings and longings, we go through him and who knows how the Father will respond to our desire. There is a possibility, as you put in the book, that we might experience something, but it, you can gauge it and discern it. Am I making that more complicated than I should, Jim? No, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there are experiences that faithful Christians have had um, that we might call apparitions or, or, or dreams or other experiences where God has given the gift of uh, some kind of contact with a loved one who's passed away. That's not the same thing as a ghost. Um, and it's not the same thing as, as the occult. That might be a gift from God. But, but your point is exactly right, that anything that draws us toward God through Christ is, is probably going to be a good thing. Anything that draws us away from God, away from Christ, towards our own desires or towards any selfish desires, I mean, that right there would tell you that's a red flag. That's probably not something you want to engage in. Boy, and no one has experienced that and can help us to understand that like the Church Fathers. And you have brought forward, I loved it. It's not just the Church Fathers, but I think you brought a mother in. Yeah, there's some Church Mothers, too. And in this case, um, uh, one of the most important ones is St. Macrina, who is the older sister um, and and really teacher of, of St. Gregory. And so um, she has a lot to teach us, and there's some really important stuff there. And um, it, it is it is a lot of fun to read one of the uh, church fathers um, sort of relaying the teachings of his sister to the church. Yeah, because th- what they're discussing in that that holy family and that holy relationship are the same questions that all of us have. I mean, ultimately, I mean, what does happen to us? Where? What exactly those things of our faith? You know, what is eternal life essentially? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and just like us, those folks back in the day were reacting to the real um, experiences of losing loved ones. They're you know they're re- reacting to the loss of their relatives. Uh, Saint Ambrose reacts to the loss of his brother, and they write these documents. Um, out of those experiences. I mean, the biggest thing that they were fighting against back then was the the idea that somehow the body is a bad thing, that somehow only the spirit is good and the spirit is trapped in this in this body that's a like a prison of flesh, and that you know what what you ought to want is to be freed from this prison of the flesh and to be go on to some you know, disembodied existence, but, but that's just not Christian. That's a, that's a pagan way of thinking. And, and Christians know that God created our bodies to be good and to be an essential part of who we are as humans. And so the body, the human body is not meant to be discarded. It's meant to be redeemed. And in this uh, book, I think it's important that those church fathers 
as you pointed out, kind of it set an example for us to turn to the scriptures, to turn to the teachings of St. Paul, and, and of course, of our, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, to help us to really anchor us. And, and you do that throughout the book. That's right. I mean, you know, our, our sort of twofold authority in the church is scripture and tradition. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in the fact that uh, scripture is the revealed word of God and that the tradition is given to us as a gift from God to help us interpret and understand scripture and that you can't really understand scripture apart uh, apart from the tradition. So, um, yeah, so we need both. We need to bring them together. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Inside the Pages. We're talking with James Papandrea about his book, What Really Happens After We Die. Is it safe to say that many people can more easily accept in our hearts and minds the, the concept of our spirit and that connection in the afterlife? As you said, what happens to the body? That is seems to be more difficult. I mean, does it just... Do we just lose the body and we're free from it? Or in this idea of a resurrection, what does that look like? And is there a possibility that I can come back as 
you know, another person or maybe even some places and cultures in the world, they think they can come back as animals. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and that's nothing new. I mean, those uh, ideas of, of reincarnation and what's called the transmigration of souls uh, from one body into another, um, it's been around, you know, as long as Christianity or longer. And some of the early church fathers wrote documents arguing against those ideas. Uh, the thing we have to understand is that our souls and our bodies are eternally connected in a way that they can never be completely or permanently separated. So even though um, our spirits or our souls are, are temporarily separated from our bodies when we die and our bodies go into the ground and begin to decay, um, there, is a, there is an ongoing connection there between spirit and body. And so that when we come to the resurrection, our spirits will be reunited with that same body. Now that body will be redeemed and transformed and perfected, but it's the same individual body. And so we, uh, we do not get a different body. We can't be put into another body. Our minds can't be uploaded into a computer without a body. I mean, none of these things uh, could be possible because they all would, would diminish uh, what we are as humans and, and, and um, sort of turn us into something like a mind only um, you know, I think of the old science fiction movies where, you know, the guy is kept alive as a head in a jar. Mm. Well, you know, it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> no, no. And it's not too pretty. I don't know if I'd want it to yeah. be stuck like that. But yeah. um, somehow you had St. Macarena and Tortillion actually speaking the language of quantum entanglement. I mean, isn't that awesome that we seem to yeah. have certain revelations in our times that can help us to kind of grasp this in our mind, maybe. Yeah, you know, it's it's true, and it's it's really amazing how, you know, uh, as time goes on, more and more, the world of physics uh, sort of discovers things that are consistent with what Jesus taught and and the church has always taught. And in in that sense, you know, you're referring to this idea that that the body and the spirit can never be completely separated and. And physicists are now talking about quantum entanglement, the idea that, that two particles that are together could be separated by, you know, uh, two ends of the universe, and yet they're still not separated. They're still in tandem in some sense. And, I mean, I'm not that kind of doctor, but, um, but the point is, is that it, it shows the reality of such a concept that, you know, maybe 100 years ago, people would have dismissed it as somehow, you know, to believing too much in miracles or something like that. And now our, our physicists are talking about the same thing. Yeah, I couldn't help but think of St. Joan of Arc, who is a, one of the great martyrs of the church, and who in her death, there was a point that they wanted to make by burning her completely, crushing what was left, throwing everything into a river so that nothing could be found of her. And yet... There is something of that, can we say, that, that entanglement that it, it, you mm -hmm. know it, it's still possible in God's great economy that everything is brought back together. That's right. That's right. And, it, and as the early church fathers pointed out, you know, the, the very one who created the human body can put it back together. It's harder to create a human body from nothing than it is to put one back together from its atoms. So the, the God who created the human body can certainly 
uh, bring it back together and, and reunite it with its spirit. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, we believe we will follow in Jesus's footsteps. Jesus's resurrection was a bodily resurrection, and so will ours be. It has a lot to do with our understanding of what time is, don't we? I mean, the fact that we live on a chronological timeline that we can perceive, but God is outside of time in Kairos. I mean, it's it's a totally, it, it's a completely different, uh, for lack of a better word, element, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. And, you know, we have to remember a couple of things. First of all, time is a created thing. Time is a part of creation. And God is not bound by creation. God is above and beyond creation. Even though God can intervene and enter into creation, God is not sort of, um, you know, the theological term is circumscribed. God is not surrounded by creation because God is bigger than creation. And so God is outside of time. And um, we experience time one moment at a time, uh, but God does not. And so we, uh, we, we have to keep that in mind. But on the other hand, um, you know, we exist in a created realm, but we will always exist in a created realm because even the kingdom of heaven is a created realm. The only thing that's not created is God himself. And so even heaven is is a created place. It, it is still a part of creation. And God has ordained it that we interface with creation through our bodies. And that will, that will be true in the kingdom of heaven as it is now. We will interface with God's creation through our bodies. And I, that's how we know there'll be hugs in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, he, he created us in his image, in the divine likeness. He created us male and female. And he, in the incarnation, he demonstrated the beauty of the body by taking on mm-hmm. the form. And so it, it, that's kind of where our hearts should go, shouldn't it, as far as understanding the importance of the body? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if the body were evil or if it were, you know, somehow disgusting to God, then the word would never have become flesh. Um, but the word did become flesh, and he did it so that our flesh could be redeemed. And so... Um, so yeah, we, we need to respect the body and understand that, that God valued the human body enough to acquire one, you know, and, uh, that, that should really give us pause. Well, for many, there is a acceptance as it were of the, there's a state of the soul after death that it can either be for many again, heaven or hell. We'll discuss those two others, but there's another area for many, particularly Catholics, that a state, purgatory. It can be rightly called that, can't we, as opposed to a place? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, every everything is still within God's creation somehow. So on in the one hand, it, it kind of is a place in the sense that it's part of God's created existence. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's not a place in the sense that, you know, you can't get into the space shuttle and fly there, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you can't find it from here. Uh, it would be something maybe analogous to another universe or another dimension. Um, but of course, the thing to remember about purgatory is that no matter what you believe about it, no matter whether you believe it includes some kind of punishment or, or whatever, or, or purification or some combination of the two, whatever you believe about it, 
our experience of purgatory is is an experience without the body because purgatory is something we experience in that in-between time when we've died and our soul has separated from the body, the body goes into the ground and our soul goes on. And so purgatory is a kind of disembodied experience, but that experience is temporary um, because we are meant to be reunited with our bodies. So whatever purgatory is, it is something uh, experienced by the, by the soul or the spirit or the mind and not the body. Did you find it fascinating of learning from the church fathers, particularly on this aspect of what happens after death? I mean, their insights and where they were at? Well, you know, I, I always find the church fathers interesting because sometimes uh, they sometimes they sort of tell you exactly what you expect them to, and sometimes they surprise you. Um, it is very interesting to read the church fathers on this subject because you can tell that many of them were uh, in direct dialogue or arguments with pagan philosophers. And these philosophers were, were making these arguments like, well, you know, how can God put the pieces of a body back together that's been decomposed for centuries? And they would, the church fathers would make the argument, well, it, you know, it's like a mosaic. If the tiles of a mosaic should fall apart and get all jumbled, well, the person who made the mosaic in the first place can certainly put them back. And then the, the pagan philosophers would come back with, well, what if, uh, what if a person was eaten by an animal and then they, if they become part of the animal's you know, feces, then what happens? And, they, and the uh, church fathers have to address that as well and say, well, you know, again, it's not a trick for God because God is the creator. And so it, it, it's a very uh, interesting situation when you read the church fathers because they are at the same time very spiritual and also very practical because they are answering questions that the people in their parishes are asking and they're dealing with the arguments that they're getting from the, their non-Christian neighbors. And it's, it's all very practical. It would make sense that there would be this idea of purgatory as we understand it, because after we die, we're still the same person. You know, sometimes we think if I die, that somehow I'm going to go to heaven directly, and it's going to be the most wonderful place. But I, there are other people that have died that I've got issues with, or I've been nasty to. And then you've got all of the, the drama. There isn't mm-hmm. that type of drama in heaven as we understand it. Otherwise, it wouldn't necessarily be heaven. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, the, the thing that I that I tell folks, both Catholic and Protestant, is, you know, think back to the Old Testament and think about how if you were to commit certain sins or if something were, were to happen to you and that would make you unclean. And in the Old Testament, to be unclean is to be unfit to approach God in worship. So if you're unclean, you can't go to the temple until you perform some sort of ritual purification. Well, in the New Covenant, our sin makes us unclean. We are unfit to enter into the presence of God, even when we die. So what has to happen is a purification. And purgatory is that purification that takes place um, after we die, but before we are ready to enter into the, the, the full presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. We'll continue our conversation in our next episode discussing the reality of hell and the beauty of heaven. With James Papandrea, we've gone inside the pages of what really happens after we die and how we know there will be hugs in heaven. 
To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to sophiainstitute.com. The website for its publisher, Sophia Institute Press. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.